of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning, and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on this last Sunday of October. You know, I spent all afternoon yesterday working on the script for today's show. And then I got a text from Vince about Baghdadi. And I thought to myself, well, I guess that changes things. So... Let's start this morning by congratulating the United States of America's outstanding, exceptional, only in the world, special forces operators who went into a wild and hostile place yesterday at grave risk to themselves to execute a mission to capture or kill Baghdadi. Baghdadi is or was, the so-called father of ISIS, a terrorist captured by the Americans in Iraq during the um, Iraq war and imprisoned. So we did get his DNA, so we know for sure that we got him this time. He was released in 2009 um, and was very effective in breaking off from al-Qaeda in Iraq and establishing ISIS, gathering followers, and blasting through um, the minimal defenses of the Iraqis and taking advantage of a civil war in Syria in order to establish a physical caliphate. That is the thing that makes him exceptional, that he was a cruel and venal little man who, in the final analysis, went to his death crying and screaming, if we believe everything we've been told, um, blowing himself and his children to bits. Coward. Taking your kids with you into a cave to defend, to protect you from American troops because American troops are not going to kill innocent children? What a coward. So congratulations to our service members, to the intelligence agencies that support them. Maybe it's time for the president to stop attacking those people who made all of this possible. Human intelligence. The president was in the Situation Room, and he watched this live and in living color. It amazes me. It was the same when uh, we got bin Laden. 
that President Obama was sitting in the Situation Room watching the GoPro camera, so to speak. It's not what it really is, but, you know, the helmet camera um, of uh, the SEALs who executed that mission. It's amazing. It's amazing that this very violent, virulent ideology, this very... um, rudimentary way of conducting, you know, the violence is conducted in a really rudimentary way, that we have such sophistication that we can watch this as though it were, in the president's words, a TV movie. And yet, we cannot stamp out the ideology that drives it. So we all need to take a moment this morning, pause, give thanks that One terrorist leader is gone. I'm sorry about his children. That's his fault, not ours. We need to give thanks for the incredible courage and professionalism of the United States Special for Operators. This was probably a cross-service team, and that's more and more common in the more advanced asymmetric war that we now find ourselves fighting, that you have multi-branch teams put together. But never underestimate a Navy SEAL. Um, Intelligence was gathered, but you know who gave us the intelligence to do this? Yes, indeed, our longtime partners, the Kurds. So, It's a huge triumph for the Western world. It's a pause, however, in the war against Islamic extremism. Even though the president has now changed his mind and we are going to leave almost 500 troops uh, just south of the so-called demilitarized zone, Um, in order to protect the oil fields and the words of our defense secretary, Esper, so that um, we can deny um, currency to the ISIS organization so that they can't buy weapons, et cetera, by selling oil. Um, In fact, we also want to protect that oil and the access to that oil from the Iranians (laughs) and the Turks. And the Russians. So um, we'll say it was inelegant, but it's a necessary step. So while this morning, nobody's mourning the death of Baghdadi, we must also remember, in the words of another president, President George W. Bush, that this war against ISIS and al-Qaeda and all of these different groups, um, loosely connected, if at all, is not a war against an army. It is a war against an ideology. And it's a generational struggle. In the words of George Bush, this is a, quote, generational struggle that will not end in a surrender ceremony on a battle, on a battleship, end quote. And he said that in 2002 as we began the conflict in Afghanistan. And he's correct. But then he 
actually declared mission accomplished on a battleship, what, like two years later? One year later? Yeah. You know, it mission accomplished was getting, at that point, was getting Saddam Hussein. Um, it was never a thought that we were going to completely evacuate um, Iraq before we stabilized them and in terms of governance. So, you know... Um, I'm not I'm not saying I'm not defending George Bush. I'm not defending the invasion of Iraq. I'm simply stating a fact that that while Baghdadi is dead, the ideology lives. And he's been on the run for a couple of years. And we now have as many as 800 captured fighters they were captured a couple of weeks ago. They were still in jail a couple of weeks ago when the Turks decided to invade um, northern Syria. Um, and they're now on the loose. And they're somewhere in the world, and we don't know where they are. That puts all of us at risk. So all I'm saying is while we celebrate the moment, we need to remember that this is not the end of the conflict that in order to end this conflict, we've got to change the mindset in the Middle East. And that's a longer and more complicated um, conversation um, that, that needs to be had on a national basis, not on a Sunday morning talk show. <laughs> and so we'll be back in just a minute to talk about what we had planned to talk about this week. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. Um, I don't know if there is anything more to say. Um, you know, this is an important moment in a long time war, um, but it's definitely not the end of the conflict. And and solving that conflict um, requires changing mindsets. It it's it it's a it, it's a problem that defy that that defines um, much of the defense of the Western world. Um, How would you change that mindset, though? I'm, you know, that's what I'm struggling with, Vince. I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not. Um, I, I mean, if I were the Pollyanna, I would say, you know, um, it, it's about hearts and minds. I mean, that's a fact. It's about hearts and minds. Um, it, it is not necessarily true that Islam is a violent religion. It's not. Um, but there are aspects of it in terms of its attitude toward the infidel, uh, which are now a thousand years old. Um, and so... Um, I guess we thought um, modernity would would you know bringing modern life to some of these more remote places 
would stamp out some of these tribal instincts. Um, and it hasn't worked that way. I mean, go back and think about the Middle East and how it was, it was divided up by the winners of the First World War. I mean, it was the Ottoman Empire. The, the, the Ottoman Empire was part of, you know, which is now what we call Turkey. You know, what's left of the Ottoman Empire is what we now call Turkey, right? Um, was part of the um, imperial forces that we fought against in the First World War. And so to the victor go the spoils, and the Middle East were the spoils. And so... You know, the French took part. That is what we today call Syria and Lebanon. The British took part. That's what we today call Jordan, Israel, the West Bank, Palestinian areas, Gaza, Egypt, all of that. Um, And the Americans said, no, thank you. Um, You know, our tendencies have, have been... Um, until the Second World War uh, erupted around us, have always been to be isolationists, to feel protected by the um, oceans um, and the two friendly uh, landmass neighbors that we have. Um, and, And so we've always tended to be isolationists. So we let the Europeans go on and do their little colonial thing um, in the Middle East. And and the French are still involved there. You know, Lebanon is bilingual. Um, so none of these are natural countries. None of these, um, if you look at, at um, Iraq and Syria, um, Iran is the, the, the um, is descendant from what we call the Persian Empire. So there is a civilization um, as old as, um, as, as we would say, you know, um, the Judeo-Christian Western ethic. Uh, so we're talking about more than 5,000 years. Um, the Iraqs, Iraq and Jordan was, you know, there were two brothers. So they, two king, two Hashmani brothers. And so they said, okay, you can be the king of Jordan, and you can be the king of Iraq. Okay? It's all one, it's all a bunch of tribes. And one of the really big tribes are the Kurds. And the Kurds were left in this division, stateless. And they remain stateless. And that makes them both our strongest ally and the Turks' worst enemy. And how you're going to solve that problem, let's say we give them a state. We say, okay, this is Kurdistan. Well, what happens to the other people in that area? It's the same situation we're now going to have in northern Syria where Arabs uh, from a different part of Syria, probably closer to Jordan, are now going to who were refugees in Turkey are now going to be settled in what was the Kurdish Syrian homeland. Okay, so it's their tribes. It, it you know the the national instinct of Syria is an artifice, and and I don't know if the United States military 
can do can I mean they're very very good at hearts and minds. I mean among Americans, some of the best people have have given their lives to service. Um, these are really you know, and we are a warm and compassionate people. And so when people meet American soldiers in in less formal situations as we were i mean we and the and the kurds our our troops and the kurds were would go to the same restaurants they they had created a very peaceful a, a pretty peaceful environment in which they really got to know us and to know us is to like us but we aren't the policemen of the world and 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 so because of our wealth because of our modern lifestyle um we're a target for um, those, the more violent ideologies that can stem from religious fervor and tribalism. And, and if you've got an answer to how you unravel that, um, we're all going to listen. I mean, a, a microcosm, while, while so many of us are focused um, on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and, and for many years, people said, well, if we could just solve that, the Middle East would be peaceful. Well, Israel has thrived. The Palestinians have done better. Um, when Syrian refugees were driven south, the Israelis um, uh, opened the Golan Heights and took them in. But we can't find a two-state solution because of Gaza. Because Gaza is a different organization, and Gaza is more militant, and and because of the um, irascible uh, conflict, um, those people are really suffering. But it isn't the Israelis who put munitions in their schools. And how you're going to resolve that, if you're willing to have your children killed— in defense of an ideology, I'm not sure that there is a solution at hand. Rather, as President Bush said in 2002, before the Iraq invasion, this is a generational struggle. And really, the best we can do is what we started to do in Afghanistan, which is to put a lid on it. This is an asymmetric war. We're not going to win it on a battlefield. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure there is a solution um, in sight. I, I really, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot um, smarter, a lot of diplomats have worked hard on this problem uh, for nearly 20 years now. Well, for more than that, for 40 years, and have not yet found a solution to a set of beliefs that enshrine martyrdom and on that note let's go to a break and we'll be back and maybe we'll open the lines Listening to Reimagine America. 
For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with a little more about the uh, Baghdadi um, kill. It was a capture or kill mission, but he chose to make it a massacre. Um, and and as we went to break, um, you know, Vince was saying, you know, how do you solve this problem? My answer is I'm not sure there is a solution. In any case, um, this was definitely not the program <laughs> that I had planned. Okay, I had a, had a question in regards to the hearts and minds. Now, do you think this killing of al-Baghdadi contributes to capturing the hearts and minds? Some people, when you know you see these high-profile terrorists uh, get taken down, some people say, oh, this is a recruiting tool for the terrorists. But uh, other people are saying, well... The way that uh, Baghdadi died, and how you just described it—he, he, you know, died at you know like a coward, blew himself up and his kids up. Maybe that will show potential recruits that, hey, this guy you've been following around is a complete coward. He doesn't care. Like, do you think that might help with the hearts and minds? No, not at all. This is a culture that rewards martyrdom. I mean, you know, there are people in the Al-Qaeda and ISIS world who are going to say that Big Daddy did a favor to those three little kids he killed when he killed himself. Um, You and I, with our Western values, would say, look at those incredible special operators who put themselves at risk in order to bring out 11 other children from um, the structure in which Baghdadi had been hiding. Um, That's a Western value. Uh, Baghdadi, I don't know if he thought that he was um, doing a good thing or a bad thing, if he was thinking those children would provide him a shield uh, in terms of the Americans, and or or if he thought he was doing them a favor by martyring them uh, in their youth so they could have their 27 or however many it is virgins in the next life. So, no, I don't think that um, Baghdadi will be important. First, um, he's been out of circulation for a while. He was badly injured um, by a previous um American bombing um, and he's so he's been out of out of you know out of uh, active uh, governance and and of course the caliphate has been uh, physically destroyed and so he was like Osama bin Laden you know hiding out um, we don't know if he had been hiding in Turkey and was now trying to come back into Syria or if he'd been hiding in that lawless portion of Syria all this time and was moving along what is a known 2,000-year-old trading route. So, um, now, I don't think it makes a difference. I think there were um, lieutenants with great ambition waiting 
in the wings to take over the leadership. And I think we will see one of them emerge in a violent video very quickly. Um, we also know that, that we got, you know, the so-called Beatles, that is some of the British um, ISIS recruits who had been involved in some beheadings. That was one of the things that the Americans did get in their withdrawal is um, wait no, wait wait they call them call them the Beatles yes like, they do like like the band as in mm-hmm. that's what they call them mm-hmm. I wonder what Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr think of that I don't think they think much of it um but that is what that is the the name that the well you know yeah in Western there the Beatles you know the Beatles are are a historic artifact you and I know about the Beatles ask my you know ask my granddaughters if they would listen to Beatle music nah <laughs> what what are you asking us about from ancient history 20 years ago yeah um so you know it, it's a term of art that the Americans have given these four guys because they don't want to give them personal notoriety but we now have custody of them and I have a feeling that that's where the information um, started and about uh, Baghdadi's whereabouts, and because you know, um, once in, in in American custody, um, you know the federal government still does have a death penalty, and in life at Guantanamo um, may be a, a better option if you're a um, beheading terrorist that we would like to try in federal court. So, um, Supermax, here you come. Um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, um, I don't think um, I, I, somebody else will emerge. It's the ideology you have to kill. And, and it's, it's bedeviling. If you think about some of the things that have happened in Africa, uh, Somalia is pretty much lawless. But if you think about the... Um, shooting up of a mall, I believe it was in Kenya, which is, you know, well wealth and, and pretty far um, advanced as, as a Western-type society of, that you and I would recognize um, with shopping malls and Walmarts and, you know, upscale shopping and all sorts of things, um, and a mixed culture of uh, West, of, of, you know, Europeans and Americans and um, natives and Indian and East Indians um, and Chinese and so forth. Um, and yet uh, El Shabaab carried out uh, a raid that killed quite a number of people. They did another raid recently and I'm trying to str- I'm struggling to think if it was maybe in the Sudan, I'm not sure. Um, so it, it's a decentralized organization. So I don't think, I think we get to say, yay, yay, we did it. Yay, good for us. Um, but I think in terms of the long-term struggle, we have something close, Vince, to 70,000 troops spread around the Middle East and um, what we call Central Asia. And, and I don't see 
um, much as President Trump would like, much as the American people would like to bring all our troops home, I, I don't see that happening in the foreseeable future. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Um, but, but I don't want to minimize um, either the contribution of our intelligence agencies, whether it's signal or surveillance, you know, a, a drone and, and satellite, or human intelligence. Some, to, some person trusted one of our assets enough to give them information that was specific enough for the President of the United States to greenlight this operation. Now, as we go to break, let's hope that the President begins to understand that the United States military is not the only important element. The United States military depends on our intelligence agencies, all 17 of them. And maybe it's time in the aftermath of the killing of Baghdadi, a very successful mission, maybe this is a moment for the president to stop attacking his own 17 intelligence agencies. They work for the American people. They don't work against the interests of the American people ever. And they shouldn't need to have criminal lawyers to defend them against accusations that somehow in 2016 they did something at the behest of Hillary Clinton and the expense of Donald Trump. And we're going to break on that note. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, I think we'll change the subject and talk about something close to home and happy. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Now, I've got to admit, um, if you were listening to the commercial, um, you know, there is very little at Reimagine America about. The war on terrorism. Um, I don't, my expertise is in is in business. It's not in in diplomacy, um, except you know to be an observer of human behavior. Um, but I am working on a couple of pieces about the Democratic primary um, and why it's such a complete failure. And those will be out uh, hopefully by the end of next week. Um, <clears throat> depends on what else happens. You can never tell. I mean, I went and bought a lantern this week because we don't know if we're going to have power up from one day to the next. Um, but because we have, um, we are at the last Sunday of October. 
I don't know if you, about you, but I'm pretty well. I bought a thing of candy, so I guess like you can say, and I put out a couple of door decks, so I guess you can say we're ready for Halloween. But the last Sunday of 2019 daylight savings time is also today. Wait, 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 wait. This is a major pet peeve of mine. It's daylight saving time. Singular, not savings. This is, people always say savings. Like as if there's like a bank with sunlight that we just keep it in and then we open it up and let out the sunlight. Daylight saving time. Sorry. I stand corrected. It's okay. It's okay. You're forgiven. But here's here's the thing. Unless the California legislature were to jump on its broom this Halloween week um, and trick-or-treat the rest of the country by declaring an end to daylight savings time, even though we've passed, we have passed an, a constitutional amendment to allow the legislature to end the uh, switch back and forth and keep us on daylight saving time. Um, so unless the legislature were to jump on its broom this week by passing Assembly Bill 7, as it's called, we're going to go through the annoyance of moving our or falling back next Sunday. So while we think of daylight savings time as just an annoyance, a unilateral move by California uh, would have significance throughout the country and with our hemispheric trading partners as well. So it's, it's a big deal to change, to say, it's one thing for Hawaii to say, ah, we're going to stay on daylight saving, I am corrected, time. Thank you. All year long. Because, you know, in Hawaii, they have, I mean, the sunshine even when it rains. So all the way out there, when you go on vacation, you go, okay, I'm on vacation, so I'm not really thinking about the relative time. But the rest of the country, if California were to make this decision unilaterally, w- there would be significant uh, consequences. So we need to coordinate really closely with neighboring states and with our hemispheric trading partners in order to make this a climate-sustaining decision, which means a lot of them have got to join us for this to work. And there are huge national implications of a decision to put California on permanent daylight saving time. It does make sense when you think about it the way that Vince put it, that what we are trying to do is to maximize the hours of sunlight that we have in our, in our day. But, but it's got to have, it's, it, it has national implications. Um, if you have a trouble being on time to catch an airplane now, just wait till California is on daylight saving time all year long and the rest of the nation is falling back and springing forward. But if you're part of a regular 10 a.m. Eastern time conference call, you get to sleep for an extra hour or get some work done in advance uh, for ha- every morning for half of the year. And maybe a two-hour time difference during the less hot and humid months of the year would draw California closer to the machinations of Washington, D.C. Now, one of, one of the real advantages California enjoys is distance. We enjoyed it when we were a republic 
and we've never really lost that independent republic sense. Republic, I was going to say Republican with a small R, but uh, that would probably set heads to to exploding. But but it is one of the things that that makes us unique. Uh, it's not just the wealth disparities in the state. Um, it is it is the distance and the republic history of California back to the subject at hand um, in terms of artificially drawn lines um, and and um, how countries are formed. So maybe it would be a good thing if we're only a two-hour time difference. If, if a 10 o'clock hearing in New York were in Washington were held at 8 o'clock Pacific time rather than 7 when most of us are you know, either still asleep or busily trying to get ready to get out the door. Um, <clears throat> you know, because I just find that getting up at 10 minutes before 6 in the morning to watch a Capitol Hill hearing live is a heavy lift. You know, I often set my alarm thinking I should get up and watch this live. And then when the alarm goes off, because I am a, a, a night owl by by um, disposition, I I wake up and I go, is it that important? Do I really have to get up? And more than, often than not, the answer is no. But heck, I might feel differently if it were 10 minutes to 7. I'd still need to think about it, but probably not as hard. So all these weighty matters, like the time difference between California and Washington and, you know, hearings and so on. Um, all these weighty matters remain stuck in the assembly chamber of the state legislature until at least February of 2020, when they're going to vote to put all of this change in place in uh, October or November 1st of 2020 in the midst of a presidential election. This should be fun. Uh, I'll tell you, as the as the kid who had to sit in front of the assembly and say, yeah, we're going to be able, major state systems will cross the um, the line between the 20th and the 21st centuries without major disruption. My fingers were crossed. My toes were crossed. Um, I'll tell you that, that changing over to permanent daylight saving time while the rest of the nation remains on uh, the existing system um, will be fraught. That would be standard time. Yeah, standard time. Standard time. That's a, that's another thing is people don't realize they, like anytime the clocks change, everybody just just says it's daylight savings time. It's like no, no, we're it, first of all it's daylight saving time, and we're not we're switching to standard time now. Yes, it, standard time doesn't get its its due respect. No, it doesn't because it's based on Greenwich time, and as I said earlier. If California decides to go to permanent daylight saving time, it has hemispheric, it has global implications because it changes the relative time between the United States and the rest of the world for six months of the year. As I said, that's one thing if you're in Hawaii. And as somebody who has worked in Hawaii and gone back and forth every week, let me tell you, it was confusing. Okay. Um, and I've also worked in Arizona, which is on permanent, is it permanent standard? I guess it's permanent daylight time. I think it might be permanent standard time there. Um, that, that those changes when you're 
booking, you know, when you're when you're communicating across the country and across the globe begin after a while to make you a little crazy. It's like the little cheat sheets that the kids have for their uh, multiplication tables because they no longer are able to memorize them. Um, you have to have something like that. But as I said, all of these weighty mem- um, issues remain stuck in the assembly chamber at least until February of next year when they'll start debating it. So hang on to your hat next year um, because that change will be extremely significant. But because we're coming to the end of the show, I guess I'm going to remind you again that you get to sleep an hour later next Sunday and not miss the live radio broadcast of the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And with that note, we're going to go take a quick break and have a few closing thoughts. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. And we have just a few minutes left. Um, I had planned on talking today about um, PG&E, California government, and um, the consequences of a fire um, this morning. As we are all sitting here with the lights on, this morning, 180,000 people in Sonoma County have been evacuated in advance of a wildfire, now over 30,000 acres. That is only 10% contained. And you know how it started? It's a very familiar story, a pigeon transmission line. And when you, you know, I, I remember from my youth, you know, traveling, going on, on a, like picnic hike things um, to the geysers at Geyserville. And um, it was quite a trek, um, either up through the Napa Valley or around the other way. It was quite a trek. There's quite a distance. Um, but those and Sebastopol, I mean, it was certainly not on the same day that we would go pick apples in Sebastopol and go hiking in the geysers. The, the, the territory is that large. It's not, you know, we're talking about tens of miles, not one or two. And so 180,000 people right now are evacuated. 35,000 acres close to have been burnt. Lives are disrupted. Livestock is lost. Um, you know, businesses are lost. It's, it's incredible. And once again, the origin of the fire is PG&E. So I guess next week, barring any more excitement in the Middle East, um, Maybe we'll have a chance to really dig down into this argument. Um, and also, I'm working on a couple of guest shows um, and, and things in, in the future. 
In the meantime, if you'd like more information about uh, what we've talked about today, as I said, um, kind of unexpected, um, you can always find me at reimagineamerica.org. If you'd like to listen to a repeat of this show, you can find it at ricochet.com or go to reimagineamerica.org and and uh, uh, click the icon for the radio show and you'll get um, the podcast version of this program. Um, and as I said, next week it could be climate change. Um, it probably will be PG&E. Uh, because they're expecting this fire to continue through next week, through for the next two weeks. If you have questions or topics that you'd like me to ask or answer on the air, send me an email at Joyce at Reimagine America or a comment at Reimagine-America on Facebook. And I hope you have a wonderful week, um, and we'll talk again next week. Thank you. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word, and you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.